Hey, welcome to the Victory Family Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. All right, come on, there's a women's conference coming, Michelle's hosting. Ladies, I just can't encourage you enough and to make that, man, just get to the women's conference, get your moms there, get your, your daughters there, get your aunts, your uncles, anybody, you know, get your friends, get your enemies. God's going to do something amazing. The two women that Michelle's asked to come are remarkable gifts of God. And it's going to be a lot of fun, but I'm telling you, God's going to move in an amazing way. So get signed up. You can sign up at all of our campuses here and online as well today. So we're so grateful, and, 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 and the details are there online. We'll give you more details as we get a little closer. Let's take a minute and welcome our campuses. Meadville, Newcastle, we love you all so much. Would you give them a welcome, Cranberry? One church, multiple locations. We love you. Now, today is my wife's birthday. Yeah. I come over a little way. She hates when I do this, but I don't care. I'll bring you into the crazy that this precious woman has to live with. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll speak to her in the voice of Forrest Gump. And she will say to me, honey, no woman in the history of man has ever wanted to hear their husband speak to them like Forrest Gump. So I will look at her sometimes and I will say, you're my girl, Jenny. And she cringes a little bit. If she's upset at me, which of course she never would be, I'll say, you don't love me, Jenny. Why don't you love me? I'd be a good husband. And, and, and then ultimately, I'll tell her how much I love her like Forrest. And it just, I just want you to know, just, it's, it's a special moment in our marriage. So as you go home today in your marriage and you look at your husband and you think of his flaws, just think it could be worse. Honey, I love you with all my heart. Happy birthday. What a sweetheart. I love you, baby. You know, uh, in, in, while we were gone on vacation, it's so good to be home. Uh, uh, last week, uh, Alyssa Archer spoke. What an amazing young woman. And isn't she incredible? You know, I really can't imagine what it would have been like if I would have been a teenager and had someone like she and Ben just pouring their life into mine. What a gift. As it, it's from here in the Cranberry campus and our other campuses, as, as in your campuses, student ministries are developed. It's such a gift. And then three weeks, of course, uh, Sean Moore, who, Meadville, I know you love Sean so much. Did Sean do an amazing job then? Wow. Honestly, I was listening to kind of help him. I was not critiquing him, but, you know, I want to give him just help. And I was about three minutes in, and I forgot what I was there for, and all I could do was receive from God. Oh, man, heaven has blessed that young man, and, and God's poured so much into him. And, uh, but I want to take a moment before I get in the message and pray for somebody. You know, Kingdom Builders, it, 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 those of you online, our campuses, listen, you are serving people all around the world, some of which you will never see before you get to heaven. One of the ministries that we support ultimately, this person I'm going to show you is someone you support through Kingdom Builders. I I can't give you the nation they live in because if this, the way it works with social media, if this person's identity became known, it would be even worse for him. But it's an an Asian country and he's been arrested as a pastor for preaching the gospel. It's illegal to do what he does, but because of God's love in him for others, he risks his life and he's been arrested. We don't know whether what they've done to him uh, certainly, I'm sure he's at the very least been in prison, probably beaten. And when he comes out, if they let him out, he'll go right back to doing the very same thing. And so 
I want you to know kingdom builders. That's, this is the picture of the man. I, I, it was sent to me without the, the markings that I marked out his face just for his protection. And I, I just want you to understand how much of an impact you're making as a kingdom builder. The Bible speaks of men and women of whom this world is not worthy. And this man's one of them. He will come out of prison and he will go right back to preaching the gospel to the people that he loves more than his own life. But like in the book of Acts, when God's people, those that were preaching the gospel were arrested, the church prayed. I want to pray for him. I want to pray for his family. And let's pray for the grace of God, just as they did in the early church, to set this man free and to be able to, God, to, just to, to surround him with his grace as he literally lays down his life and suffers great, great, great harm for the kingdom of God. Let's pray over him. Father, this precious man is unknown to us by name, but known to you. Your hand is upon his life, and we, at a part of this church, count it one of the greatest honors of our life to be able to help fund the work that this man is literally, perhaps, giving his life for. The scripture says to pray that we should be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men, for all men have not the faith. And so, Lord, we pray for his freedom and deliverance. We pray that angelic hosts would surround him and comfort him and make him free. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of the gospel that's being preached in that nation. Churches being planted. He's one of them that is planted and pastors a church and is raising up leaders that are pastoring others. Father, we thank you for the privilege of laboring together. And we love you and we thank you and we trust you for this precious man. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Aren't you grateful to be able to have a part in, in, in people's lives like this? Come on, it, that's what it's about. Being a kingdom builder is not about money. It's about loving people around the world. While we were on vacation, the Holy Spirit dropped this simple message in my heart. And, and the initial title was, Who is Seeking Who? But I checked with Kathy Spencer, who you all know Kathy. Kathy used to be an English teacher. And I thought, I better get that corrected before I mess it up. I said, Kathy, is it who or whom? I think it's whom. And she said, you're correct, it's whom. So it has already been adjusted from who to whom. Who's seeking whom? I did good there. You, thank you, Jesus. All the, all the grammar people are like, well, thank God somebody knows the language. <laughs> Kathy Spencer, not me. So... Who is seeking whom? Three simple points. The first one is this. Who is God seeking? Who is God seeking? Now, why would God need to seek anybody? He's God. Why would God need anything? He's God. But the Bible clearly tells you who he seeks. And where Jesus made it clear to whom God sought was to a woman that nobody would have picked. And it was a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Women were a, an underclass of people. She had been married five times and was now living with a man. Jesus, as his disciples went to buy food, was at a well in Samaria. And this woman came to get water like a beast of burden. If you've ever been to a third world country, you see it to this day. Women will literally go and walk three or four miles with a jar of water on their heads like an animal. And she had been relegated to a beast of burden. She was the unknowns of the unknowns and the outcast of the outcast. And Jesus went up to her and he said, woman, draw me water to drink. And she said, well, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and the Jews hate us. Why are you talking to me? Then he said this. He said, if you knew, listen to these words. If, and he's talking to a woman that, that would have been an outcast in anybody's circle for the self-righteous. And he said, woman, if you knew the gift of God that was speaking to you right now, you would ask of me to give you living water and you'll never thirst again. 
And like most of us, she could only think naturally. And she said, please give me this water. I'm so tired of coming to this well. I won't have to come back. And she said, can I ask you, we Samaritans say that we worship God in this mountain. You Jews say that you worship him in the city of Jerusalem. Who's right? And the answer Jesus gave her is probably the, one of the most amazing statements you will ever read in the Bible. He said, neither of you are right. Neither of you are right. Listen to what he said to her in John four twenty three. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father. Say it out loud at all of our campuses. The Father. Not God. See, she referred to God as distant. Jesus brought a relationship, a relational aspect to who God is. He was never referred to as Father until the, until the Master brought it in to understanding. And he said, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father, listen now, is seeking such to worship him. He said, you're, never, you're no longer going to have to go to this mountain and the Jews won't go to Jerusalem to seek God because he's seeking you. You won't have to go to him. He has now come to you. And she said, when will Messiah come? And then Jesus did something that is so astounding. He revealed himself as Messiah more plainly to this outcast woman than to anybody that is recorded in the Bible, including his 12. He looked her right in the eyes and he said, I am the Messiah. Here's in essence what happened. I want you to see this is real. Jesus is looking eyeball to eyeball with a woman who has been so devalued. She's not even worthy of being married now. She's just either somebody's use for sex or just to do work like a slave. And he looks at her and he said, everyone else is out. No one wants you. I get it. I know your life has been a mess. And he told her she had five husbands and was living with a man who wasn't her husband. He said, but I want you to understand something. The father is seeking for you. Not me. No, you. You, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've gotten there, the father, listen, is seeking for you. He wants you to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. History tells us, first the scripture tells us, she went back, brought her whole village out, and they, and they came and, and began to follow Jesus. But scripture tells us this woman became one of the greatest evangelists in the early church, actually ending up being martyred when she went in Rome. They brought it to Rome and she was, she was executed. Not before she gave Nero an earful. It's recorded. In church history, it's amazing. Jesus said, the Father's seeking for you. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how far you've fallen. And I pray you don't have enough self-righteousness to think you don't need a Savior. But he said, the Father, listen, listen. The Father is seeking for you. Say it out loud of all of our campuses. The Father is seeking for me. See, you don't seek for things that aren't precious. When we were on vacation, something happened that has never happened to me in our, in our 34 years of marriage. I lost my wedding band. And now, I, I'm not a material person in the sense that, you know, I like golf clubs and that kind of stuff. But, but the only thing if I lost were pictures in our home or things that were that nature or my wedding band 
even if our home burned down, of which I wouldn't be happy if it happened, but I could care less if we, if we would have just saved, if the pictures are saved, anything of, of any sentimental value we saved, that, that's all I care about. I just don't care. Now, my wedding band, which I have on right now, it was found, is pretty cheap. It's about 40 bucks. And you may want to ask Michelle on her birthday why she spent so little on her husband. I don't... I, But this, I never really, I'm not a very sentimental person except with my kids and and my wife, but when I lost it, I I found myself being devastated. I was like, it just, and Michelle's like, well, honey, we can get you another one. I thought, no, no, that beautiful girl that just took my breath away when she walked down that aisle, you put it on my finger, I can't replace that. And I'm telling you, I, I was surprised at how bad I felt. Now, because I'm not the most detailed guy in the world, I go into my wallet, this kind of travel wallet, and there's a zipper. I go in to get something else, and there's my ring, and I'm like, oh, God, thank you. So I told Michelle, I, call, I, I texted all my kids because I told them, see, when something's of value to you, you seek for it. You seek for it. You are of value to God. That's why he seeks for you, not whether you're on the mountaintop. No one's on the mountaintop without him. He seeks for humans because they are the object of his love and affection. You are the object of the love of God. You are the object of the sacrifice of a Savior. And by the way, Jesus did not save you or me. By saving, I mean deliver you from your sin stain and debt that separated you from God. He didn't do that so God could simply stomach us. He did it so you could be literally adopted into the family of God, the Bible said. And not just adopted, but also born into the family of God by the Holy Spirit. So much so that the Bible literally says of Jesus about you and me. He is not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. He sought you and he found you. And every human being on planet earth is lost without him. You can't earn, you can't earn freedom from this sin debt and bondage. Oh, how good God is. So point number one, who's seeking whom? We find out who God is seeking. He's seeking People far from heaven. He's seeking you. Second, who is Satan seeking? Who is Satan seeking? Now, you may be highly educated and think that's silly. And you may think, well, come on, a literal devil. I mean, I'm way too educated for that. My suggestion is that you're way too educated. When your education exceeds the words of God, you probably have been indoctrinated. Just If you're thinking thoughts, consider that one. Jesus talked about a literal entity person called Satan. In fact, Jesus said, I watched him fall from heaven when he tried to rise his throne above God's. And Satan is seeking something. And the Bible's very clear of who and what he's seeking. Let me read it to you in 1 Peter 5.8. This was written to believers. It says, be sober and be vigilant and keep a careful watch. Because your adversary, at all of our campuses say it, adversary. No, where you hear it, say adversary. You need to get that into your soul. He is your adversary. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he's not a roaring lion, he acts like one. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a counterfeit. As a roaring lion walks about, now listen, seeking whom he may devour and seize upon. Seeking whom he may. What do you mean whom he may? There's some he may, there's some he may not. How many of you want to be in the may not category? I want to help you to see how to do that. 
But I first want you to see who he's seeking. Satan seeks simply to seize upon and devour human life and to destroy you. And that is the only thing his kingdom does. But right on the other side of it, Jesus came to impart abundant life and that's all he desires to impart. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10.10 about the thief referring to Satan. The thief, Satan, comes only, say out loud only. All of our campuses, I want you to get this, say it out loud, only. This is all he does, only. He comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I want you to grasp and who's seeking whom. The kingdom of darkness comes for one purpose in human life, to steal, to kill, and destroy, period. Jesus comes to give life and life abundantly. Yet so many of God's people have attributed to God the works of hell. A car accident, a death through a terrible disease, a tsunami, a tornado, or a hurricane. Well, you know, you never know what God's doing. God's not doing that. That's not who he is. This is a fallen and broken world because of the stain of sin. And Jesus came to redeem us from a broken and fallen world. And so grateful that there's a world on the other side of this one. Only good comes from God. Listen, only good comes from God, period. And evil comes from a kingdom. There's only two kingdoms. It's my hope today to help you to step into a place of since both God and Satan Both kingdoms are seeking me and seeking you. Then I have to determine what will I do. And that's the third point. I have to determine who am I seeking. The third point is who am I seeking? Now you say I'm a Christian. I'm not seeking the kingdom of darkness. I'm not seeking the devil. I mean, come on. I'm seeking God. But we do know this about what the Bible tells us about the kingdom of darkness, about Satan, is this, is that he's subtle, that he's a deceiver, that he comes as an angel of light. He doesn't come with poison and say, take a drink. He comes with a beautiful steak or, if you're a vegetarian, piece of tofu. And he puts, and he puts po- a little poison in it. The scripture said, don't be ignorant of his devices. And I want you to see in this final point how a subtle temptation has befallen all of us. And while we were gone, something the Holy Spirit showed me personally I want, I, that has helped me so immensely, I believe will help you as well. Who is seeking whom? Who am I seeking? James 4 verse 7 says this. And this is you as the understood subject of the sentence. You, this is a choice, submit yourselves then to God. Then you resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you are submitted to God, you are positioned then in Christ to resist the devil with the authority that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now I I deliver it to you. Now you go in my name using my authority. But you don't resist the enemy until you submit to God. He said, but you have to choose that. And when you submit to God, you create an environment where you literally now are positioned by the power of God in Christ to resist the devil. And then the scripture said, he will flee, listen, not from God, but from you. The literal Greek says it this way, he will flee from you as in terror. 
How many of you would love to be positioned in a way in your walk with God to when, you, when the enemy comes into your life, he doesn't just flee, he flees in terror. Do you realize that's available to you? But it determines who I choose to seek. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus was sharing with a group of people that were trying to obtain all of the things that you need in life, which are find a need and to want and to even pursue natural things like food and shelter and, and, and drink and just, just everyday life stuff. And he said, there's, there's nothing wrong with those things. He said, but your father knows you need them. The birds of the air, they're fed. It's no big deal to God. Listen to what Jesus said about it and, and about seeking in Matthew 6, 33. He said, but seek first. Everyone say first. All of our campuses, this is so important. Say first. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, now listen, and his righteousness. What does that mean? His righteousness is that when you come to Christ, he imparts to you his righteousness or right standing with the Father. He paid your sin debt. He took my sin. He gave me his righteousness. He said, don't seek self-righteousness. Don't seek your own way. Don't seek trying to be good apart from God. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he said this, and all these things will be added to you. He said, your father has, he, look, he takes care of the birds. He said, look at the, the flowers in the field. They are, look, he said, Solomon, all of, all of his glory wasn't clothed like, these, like the flowers. And today they're there and tomorrow cast into the oven. And then he said, how, how much will, will he, more will he feed and clothe you? you have little faith and and the little faith wasn't they couldn't trust him they didn't believe he loved them enough to do it so they had to pursue it themselves and he said to seek my kingdom first and my righteousness and the things will be added to you Colossians 3 verse 1 if then you were raised with Christ if you gave your life to Jesus you've been raised from spiritual death with Christ how many of you are then are raised at all of our campuses raise your hand if you've been raised from the dead with Christ. Come on, if you're grateful for that, thank God, thank God, thank God. Now listen to what he said. If then you were raised with Christ, if you're serious, one translation says, about living this new resurrection life with Christ, then act like it. This is a choice. You must pursue the things over which Christ presides and seek And seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek those things which are above. Does that mean we just kind of look up into heaven and say, I I seek heaven, I seek heaven? No, no. Seeking the things that are above are seeking the things that are eternal, that matter to God. Kingdom first means I seek what matters to God first and what matters to me second. And Jesus said that when you do that, what matters to you, God will add to you. And he said, you have to choose to seek and to put in the forefront of your mind and pursue in your heart what matters most to God. Now, remember this statement because this is where the, the crux of this, the part that I believe will help all of us to be able to step into a level of freedom that maybe to this moment you've not enjoyed as a Christian. And I believe, and I'm asking God to help me to impart it to you the way he imparted it to me. Because you see, when you seek the right things, you will end up fighting the right battles. Let me say that again. When you seek the right things, you will end up fighting the right battles. Now I'm going to speak about something that I I really ask you to listen closely because if you hear this wrongly, you're going to think I'm attacking a group of people. I am not. 
please hear my heart. But I see what's happening in our nation. I see this spiraling decline. And, and, and one, it's, it's grieving. But two, it's infuriating. And I'm going to tell you the one that's, that's captured me the most as I watch it happen because it's literal child abuse. The issue of gender dysphoria is a very real issue to people. I'm not minimizing it. And, and no matter what somebody's battle is, Jesus died for them and he wants to rescue, period. However, we're living in a time now to where the kingdom of darkness, like a church, is doing kids' ministry. Let me say that again. The kingdom of darkness, like a church, is doing kids' ministry. Gender dysphoria is a real thing for people. And yet for prepubescent children in our country today, they are being encouraged to choose their gender. The insanity is so much that parents won't do gender reveals. They want their it to choose their pronoun. I'm going to talk about some things just to tick you off because I want to set up the table and how easily it is to make the mistake. And what the mistake was was the pride of my anger. And I pray this helps you understand this and, and be godly in the midst of ungodliness. We were, took up about 10 days of our vacation and we traveled through the New England states meeting with young church planters and, and, and other people at our stage of life that are wanting to help them. We sat with a precious couple that you have made a huge impact, Kingdom Builders, in their church. And their oldest daughter had, uh, they moved there from, and they, they, they didn't know a soul. And their oldest daughter went to school and made six friends, six girls. All six girls think they're men. Now, I'm telling you plainly, that is not gender dysphoria. That is grooming. Maybe one of the kids, and, and by the way, this isn't a, an issue of just, well, that you're a right wing, whatever. Forget that nonsense. These are the facts. The American College of Pediatricians have said that 80 to 90, the American College of Pediatricians, not preachers, have said that 80 to 90%, 95% of children prepubescent that are dealing with gender dysphoria will self-resolve if two things are present, just two. Number one, there's no medical intervention. And number two, they don't get social affirmation. And they're getting both today. They're getting it online in a way that is unimaginable, mom and dad. Unimaginable. And marginalized children, children that have already been harmed and hurt and abused, are wanting to have affirmation. And what they're being told is that if this is an issue for you, you go to the head of the line and you're celebrated. Everybody wants to be celebrated And the people celebrating them, please hear my heart, don't give a flip if they're dead or alive. And it's child abuse at a level that I can't even wrap my mind around. It's unimaginable. It's unimaginable. It's unimaginable. These six little girls, if there's no intervention in their life, maybe three or four of them will have a mastectomy at age 15. They'll mutilate their body sexually before they even have the ability to choose. And then let me get one other step into this. I'm setting the rage up for a reason. I'm digging a hole. I was in it with you. I want to get out of it with you. 
This is setting up the normalization of pedophilia. And years ago, we began to talk about that and I've been praying about that. Because if an eight-year-old can choose their gender, why can't they choose their sexual partner? If there is no reason, if you accept the fact that an eight-year-old can choose gender, you have to accept the fact they can choose their sexual partner. I mean, goodness sakes, if you can, if you can chemically ca- get chemically castrated at your own volition at eight years old, come on. You can't, and, and literally in California, the age of consent is being lowered on that very argument. Are you ticked enough yet? Now, now you, if, you, if, you, if you leave early, if you don't hear the end of this, you think, oh, it's one of all those Christians getting together, pointing their finger at people. That's not what this is about. I want to show you how my anger was actually trapped in pride and I didn't know it. While we were on vacation, we had this interaction with this precious man. And if you don't understand what I'm about to share with you, you're going to fight people instead of the people that are, instead of the kingdom that have trapped them. Let me read you one scripture and then I'll tell you this and we're going to pray. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our fight is not against people on the earth. We are fighting against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this world's darkness. We are fighting against the spiritual powers of evil in heavenly places. You are fighting against the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy people. But it is so easy to let that rage and anger transfer to the people that are trapped. Let me just give you an experience that God helped me so much to liberate me from the sin of pride. See, Satan is so subtle. Everything I said to you was true. Everything I said to you was worthy of rage and anger. But he'll take what is righteous and make me unrighteous with it. We were on vacation in Charleston and we were at the beach. And Charleston is now my favorite beach because my daughter lives there. And we will go there. It was like 150 degrees and 300% humidity. But my daughter's there. It is a lovely beach. And that's where we were. While we were there, we were getting ready. We went to church, the one that she's on staff, a fantastic church, Seacoast Church in Charleston. And we're, we're getting ready. I'm going down to get the car cooled off. I'm telling you that there are devils that left Charleston. It was so hot. Okay, they were like, I can't come here. So I'm, I'm, as I go to get the car, I look out. And, and right on the, this little sidewalk, I see this, this really old man on this kind of type of walker. And I, when I tell you he's taking steps by, by that millimeter. And, and, and I could see he's, he, he's disoriented. So I go over and I said, sir, I said, can I help you? He said, oh, I can't find where I'm at. My place is... Um, and he told me the name, which unit he was in. It was way on the other side. I said, here, let me help you sit down on, on, on this stoop on the sidewalk. I'll go get my car. And I'll get you in my car and I'll drive you over and I'll get you up to your apartment or to your condo. So I sat him down and then I went and got my car and I, I ran. And by the way, you walk outside, you're sweating. Now, but at this point, I'm just like, I just went, to, like I took a shower. I get in my car. I, I drive over as quickly as I can from where I was parked. And his wife had found him and now he's flat on his back. And I go over to this precious man and, and wanted to make sure, one, he was medically okay but he was just exhausted. And, 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 and I said to his wife, because he and the woman and, and her, this woman walking with her couldn't lift him. And I said, and I went over to him and I went to grab his arms and I said, sir, if I pull you up by your arms, will it hurt you? Three times he said something that will make sense in a minute. He said, it won't hurt me if you, if you lift me. 
it won't hurt if you lift me. And he said it three times. So I literally, by that time, Michelle's down there, literally almost picked him up and, and brought him over to the car. We have a, 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 an SUV. So I almost had to, in a sense, pick him up and put him in the seat. And the cold air, you know, is just, I mean, refreshing him. And you could he's reviving a little bit. Drive over to where he's staying. I get, get him out of there. Literally almost carry him I, up the steps to where he's staying and get him in their condo. We're late, but, and I'm soaked. But you know what? This man's precious, and he just needed help. That's a wonderful help, helping someone story. But now we're in church. The young pastor of this church, uh, Josh Surratt, preached an amazing message. At the end, like we'll do in a few moments, we were just waiting in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And it was a, 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 a message of, if you will, a kind rebuke. And it was simply this. And I saw it so clearly. And I wish, I wish there were ways to explain how this all happens in a moment. But if you walk with God, he'll teach you and train you. He'll correct you because he loves you. And the Holy Spirit began to deal with me. And the words of that old man came up in my mind. If you lift me, it won't hurt me. If you lift me, it won't hurt me. And you see, I became enraged against people that are facilitating the abuse of children. And it's still horrifying to me. And the Holy Spirit dealt with me and he said, your rage and anger is pride. I'm like, what because the only difference between you and them is me let me say that again the only difference between you and the people you're enraged against is me and then he showed me that old man and this and the service was over I just sat there and, and I'm not a big crier but man my heart broke He said, they are as helpless as that old man on the sidewalk. And with the tenderness and care you served him, that's how you need to serve the people that you are enraged against. What type of pride is it that you think you rescued yourself? The only difference between the people you're enraged against, the only difference between they and you is me. And somebody was willing to love you and go into your broken life and bring a message of a savior. And I, you are responsible to do the same. They don't need your rage. They don't need your self-righteousness. And they don't need your pride. They're trapped and they're as helpless as that precious old man. And they are, listen now, they're every bit as precious to me as that old man, no matter what they've done. I've come, as Jesus said, to seek and to save what is lost. And my prayer today is, wherever you find yourself in your relationship with God, whether Maybe you don't have one with him. Maybe you've, you're here and maybe you came as a, just to make somebody happy and you might be an agnostic, an atheist, I don't know, whatever. I want to make certain that you understand that there's a God that loves you desperately that's seeking for you just like you are. Well, I don't like religion. Well, neither does God and neither did Jesus. The religious people killed him. Don't blame Jesus for religious people and for human beings. And I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to the one who loved you and gave his life for you. Then secondly, I want us to have a moment in God's presence 
where the Holy Spirit can do a work in your heart like he did mine. And he said, every time that comes up in your mind, I want you to stop and I want you to pray for those precious people. They are the people for whom I died. Don't you ever forget it. And the only reason you're not in that order of those that are without me trapped in darkness is I rescued you. You didn't rescue yourself. Now you go headlong into that world and you love and serve them and bring them the truth. Now they may not respond well to you, but that's not your business. They may not respond well to me. That's not your business. You go bring them the message of a redeemer and a savior. And let go of this stupid pride of yours. And from that day to this, it's helped me immensely. Am I still disgusted by it? Of course. Am I still horrified by it? Absolutely. But I attribute it to a kingdom now. And realize that the people are nothing but pawns. As the scripture said, we don't battle against flesh and blood. But against an enemy that's against human beings. I want to pray for everyone. Every one of us at all of our campuses. First, if you've never given your life to Christ, if today you drew your final breath on planet Earth, do you know where you'd spend it? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I I long to help you come to a Savior. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you're not sure, right now the Holy Spirit of God himself is tugging on your heart and he's seeking for you saying, come. And you get to choose whether you receive or reject him today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you at all of our campuses, including those of you online, if you desire to pray with me to receive Christ into your heart, I'm going to pray for you. Listen, listen, right where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to stand at any of the campuses. I'm not going to single you out. In a moment, I'll ask you, if you desire to receive Christ, to pray a prayer out loud, and we'll all pray it out loud together with you. And when you do, the Son of God will come into your your sin-stained life and make you free. So if you've never given your life to Christ or you're not sure, and I'm not asking you if you've gone to church or religious or had a sacrament of a church, none of that will hurt you, but none of it will make you right with God, including this church. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say, Pastor, I want to be included in that prayer to invite Christ in my heart, please pray for me. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Those online, just write in the comments. I'm praying with Pastor John right now. So with heads bowed, eyes closed at all of our campuses, Would you just simply raise your hand right now if you desire to receive Christ into your life? Do it right now. Do it right now. Your eternity hangs in the balance and he turns no one away. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands back down. Thank you. God bless you. Listen, I think you can see I'm not going to single you out and that's usually what is such a difficult thing for people. No one's going to single you out. One last moment. With every head bowed, eye closed at all the campuses. If you've not yet raised your hand with those who've decided to receive a Savior into their life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You say, Pastor, yes, please include me in that prayer as well. Would you lift your hand so I can see it? Do it right now, right where you're at. Thank you. God bless you all so much. You can put your hands back down. Thank you. Oh, how he loves you. It's not religion. It's a Savior. Pray this out loud where you hear it at all of our campuses, and we'll all pray it together with you. Jesus will come into your life. He'll make you brand new. And you can have a walk with him in everyday life that's amazing. Pray it out loud where you hear it, and we'll pray it together with you. Say it out loud. Say, Heavenly Father. Say it where you hear it. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. He died on a cross to bear my sin debt. I open the door of my heart and life. And Jesus, I invite you in. I receive you now.
to be the Savior and Lord of my life. I will now walk with you and I will seek you all the days of my life. Amen, amen, amen. Give them a hand, would you, at all of our campuses. Would you stand together with me just for a moment? I want you to go into God's presence in just a moment of worship because the service isn't over. This is actually the most important part because up to now I've been speaking to you and the Holy Spirit may have been prompting your heart but right now I'm telling you if you'll let him do something in your soul he can liberate you he can liberate you for a freedom and being able to be used by God and not marginalized for the anger and the pride of anger so let's just worship for a moment and wait in his presence Holy Spirit have your way in our hearts we surrender to you now as we worship you come on let's just worship him Thank you for listening to this podcast from Victory Family Church. If you enjoyed listening, please take a moment to rate, review, and share. For more resources, including locations and service times, please visit lifeatvictory.com.